Hey y'all, it's Julia Gettner, are you she, they pronouns, and welcome to this episode of That Activist Collective Podcast. I'm super excited to be joined by Joycelyn Longden and Joe Becker to talk about activism and academia. So um, I think we, I want to kick it off by having both of you just do a little intro, kind of like where you're at, where you come from, and a little bit of your school background. Um, uh, and then we'll get into how activism has influenced your academia and how academia has influenced your activism and all that jazz. Joe, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So I have a BSc in environmental science. I did that in Scotland. Here the education is four years and then I like moved pretty quickly on after three years because I was just very frustrated in a very conservative like sustainability education field to my master's which I'm about to complete like in, in one month, two months, um, which is called Sustainability and Behaviour Change at the Centre for Alternative Technology in Wales. But yeah, and my focus is systemic uh, systems theory, uh, feminism and environmental justice and D and post growth. Uh, and I'm doing my master's thesis right now on the imaginaries for post-capitalist futures. So yeah, that's a bit of bit of my education. <laughs> That's so awesome. And, and Joycelyn, what about you? Yeah, so I have a BSc in astrophysics and I am currently doing an integrated master's and PhD. So my master's year kind of finishes in like three, four months. Well, in August. It's kind of weird because it's mixed. So I'm doing PhD stuff now and master's stuff. It's like not really a master's it's just kind of weird um, but yeah my course is called artificial intelligence for environmental risk but essentially that's just any way to apply ai to climate change issues from food scarcity biodiversity energy transition like you can choose whatever you want to do it on so it's really flexible well we'll get into that <laughs> um, but it covers a wide range of um topics and yeah the aim is just to apply AI to any climate change issue. Um, and my That's so personal, awesome. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no. I was going to say bless both of you guys for, for like being in deep school in the past year because like that's so chaotic. But please continue. <laughs> it has been chaotic. Um, but yeah, I forgot to just say what I'm doing. Uh, so my master's thesis will be looking at how AI can support as supplementary data for on the ground reports from communities um, specifically in red program so i'm looking at the red program in drc and kind of flipping things on its head where technology usually is a basis for applause for programs such as the red program and i'm coming from the other way so there have been many human rights complaints and issues with the red program and i'm coming from how can ai um, and satellite imagery of forest support communities on the ground with their claims against human rights violations. That's so awesome. Oh my God. I, first of all, I just want to hear all about like everything both of you guys are studying, which is always so interesting. I mean, I think it's really fun to hear once folks are start getting more specified in what they're studying because there's just like, I just, I always want to hear people like circle the drain with like the things that they're really passionate about because you always come through with really, really amazing um, things. But yeah, so I mean, I think our conversation that we wanted to start talking about with activism and academia is like, you know, on, on many levels because uh, 
first of all, you know, when we're talking about like academia and university, there's definitely different experiences, like maybe talking about our undergrads or when we first get started versus once we like find like a program or, um, you know, a department that we like love and, and really vibe with and that can really change things. But I know that, you know, for me, it, you know, there's this balance where university or, or academia was like the first place that I got really radicalized and learned so many things. But at the same time, I felt like there was a lot of pushback and I was only able to go really so far. Um, so, yeah, I would maybe love to hear maybe some of your thoughts of like the maybe starting with your undergrad, you know, like how you felt coming into a space where you were able to like learn the language or theory or history behind things um and but like yeah what exactly that relationship was maybe I don't know we can we can get started I know Joe you said that you left your department so maybe we can start with that (laughs) I mean I think for me like I've always been like I've always known that I wanted to like study something around like environmental science or geography um just because of my passion and like my background like growing up already being quite vocal about this political issue so when I started my uni like I was so excited I probably did more in my first year of uni than I ever did afterwards because I was like so keen and it was such a bummer for me to just see where my education was you know like we were taught very openly kind of like theory that was like underpinning like ecofascism, um, like kind of like overpopulation theories. We, you know, some of my lectures were very open about them wanting to work on um, oil platforms because that, that would like support them, like that would make them more money and profit while it's also teaching me sustainability. And I was just like, but I don't understand, like, so like in one way, I guess like that radicalized me in thinking of like institutions and how they uphold, you know, certain ideologies and like how we are not really given the tools in many institutions to actually mobilize beyond like for the futures that we want to envision. And also like, I guess for me, like I did have a good experience because of the communities that I then sought out because because the education wasn't part of that, so I needed groups around me where I could bounce ideas off, where I could learn from, you know, like non-educational spaces, but education as like, yeah, like, I mean, still ed- educational spaces, just not my uni. And in some ways, you know, like this frustration of always being taught, like, you're doing too much, like just focus on water rather than like looking at the political issues of water, for example, like really frustrated me. But actually, it really, I think, got me now into really good spaces where I have found, you know, out that like, actually, this can be academia. It's just not what I knew. So I had to like seek it out. And through that, I think I've just explored so many amazing other communities, like locally around me and also just found other academics that are working on this. But yeah, it can be really frustrating. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting for me because I was really... So I went to the University of Washington um, in Seattle, Washington, and I studied international studies, sustainable development, and like gender, women, sexuality studies. Um, and it was it was interesting because I like found myself in a department I like really loved in all these classes. And, and I think that like I learned so much like really radical theory and we were doing like really, really interesting things. But at the same time, there was always like this cap on it. And, um, you know, like one example specifically is like my uh, my like senior thesis. I was working on a group research project that was like looking at basically like 
the human rights abuses of ICE Air, which is in the United States, the Immigration Customs Enforcement. Um, they have a department that basically just like charters flights to deport people. And there's no information about it. We had through like a um, a freedom of information request, which is like how you get um, like secret information basically from the government. We found like all this data and we were doing the first like report on ICE Air ever. And this whole group was just like so rad, like all abolitionists, like super radical. We spent months doing this like super intense research. But then at the end, like we had to formulate a, like a paper and a presentation that gave feasible recommendations. And so we ended up writing like these bullshit recommendations about like having water on the plane and like people not having like seatbelts and like all this shit that's like, I don't want to make like deportation flights more comfortable. Like I want to make deportation flights stop, you know? And so at that point I was like sitting there, I remember listening to this and being like what the fuck did we write you know like and and knowing that there was that limitation and and that really got me into like working with some like grassroots abolitionists organizing around immigration and I was just like okay so so this is this is one part of it but I was like I can't end here because this sucks like I need to have that like direct action or, or other line of it um but I think it wasn't until I sat there that I was like oh no matter how radical our intentions were like we still came up with this end product that was super reformist. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's the issue, right? I mean, this is a big thing in sustainability even now with like looking at like resilience studies and stuff. It's like, how can we just make it like a little bit better rather than actually looking at the roots and like, well, why are people impoverished? It's not just inherent. People don't, you know, they're not vulnerable inherently. Like it's because of these structures. But yeah, sounds like a interesting but frustrating course result. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Jocelyn, I'm super interested because, I mean, you did your undergrad in astrophysics, which is, like, totally not in, uh, I think, like, the, the radical liberal arts or whatever spaces that, that we were both in. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm coming from a completely different um, perspective and also a different experience. I mean, in all the spaces that I'm in, the space I'm in now in academia, like, I'm just from, the, like, a completely different perspective and that makes it like very lonely because yeah I'm not trained you know in sociology etc but also like I'm incorporating a lot of that into my work so my entrance into academia anyway with my undergrad wasn't really um like I, I did astrophysics because I was very interested in it but like I moved out of my parents home when I was 17 I had to like feed myself and work and you know so university wasn't like an option um I chose the thing that I thought I would most enjoy and uh there was not much more thought about that I was like kind of going through it at the time so I just chose the thing that I wanted to do and then did it so these considerations say about the environment um like weren't part of my undergrad uh like university decision making and at the time, a lot of my external work, I've always done creative things alongside my degree, was more about racial justice. So I was like very entrenched in racial justice work as well as um, racial justice in like the creative spaces. And so I think this helps not having a like academic agenda because I don't see any boundaries with the work that I'm supposed to do. So well, after my undergraduate, I said I'd never go into higher study. I hated uh, being 
working in the sciences. I hated the sexism. I could never afford to do higher education. You know, I was never going to be in academia. And I'll come to it later, but I'm, I don't see myself being an academic. But this course came along and because there seemed, it, it wasn't like a programme, if that makes sense. My course hasn't got a strict, like, you take these modules and this is what you learn when you come out of it. It very much is a PhD just with this first sort of exploratory year, which I liked because it meant that I could basically just set what I want to study. And even though there are inherently like these spheres that you feel like the program sort of walks in, I have found two incredible supervisors who are really radical and are really excited about the work that I'm doing and are like, wow, no student has done this. Um, one of my supervisors from the computer lab and one of my other supervisors is from the culture, media and sociology department. So I'm bringing together those two areas um, and in the sociology space around technology, they don't really hold back at all. Um, there's so much critique of AI. There's so much colonization conversation that I guess I'm coming in maybe from a naive perspective, but I don't see any limit to the work that I'm going to do or the boundaries that I want to push. And if those boundaries do come up, then I'm just going to like not do my PhD because I'm not here for any other agenda than doing the work that I say that I'm gonna do um so I guess for me that is a privileged position because yeah I haven't prescribed to a specific program to do like a specific mm -hmm. assigned set of modules I'm just here to you know be funded to do the work that I think is really important and luckily I have found some other academics who uh really believe in that and of course I am worried about how the program is going to uh, accept it. For example, I've had to just write my whole PhD proposal and that will go through to the board who will say, yeah, that's all fine, continue. And of course they could push back and say, oh, don't know about this, isn't this too much sociology, aren't we just doing AI? But I think that I'm in a very strong position because it will show a lot about the program if they find the work that I'm doing threatening and it will show a lot about their commitments to diversity and their commitments to interdisciplinary work which is the premise of the course um if this is not within the remit which um I don't understand how if technology is going to be used as a solution for climate change then technology is a solution for climate change incorporating co-creation co-design with the communities that it will affect aren't part of the remit if that makes sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like the easiest way to call them on their shit. It's like if you can't accept this, then you're literally not doing what you're saying you're doing. Exactly. Um, so whether that's naive, uh, I don't know, but I just feel like yeah, there's no way that I could um like come to those barriers. And also I've been reading a lot about black Marxism and black radical culture. And there's this book called The Futures of Black Radicalism. And in there, it talks about your responsibility as a black academic to not just enter this space of being a petty bourgeois. So you just end up, you know, sort of doing this theoretical work where you speak about colonization and you become more and more removed from the communities that you came from. I mean, I came from a low income family it would be irresponsible to forget 
that and forget the communities that not only am I embedded in and that my family are still in, um, um, but also the wider communities that I wish to serve. And so luckily, because I don't have any agenda, I feel like I can commit wholeheartedly to that without prescribing to academia's sort of um, yeah prerequisites for what what kind of radical work is acceptable and what kind of radical work isn't. I love that. And I love that kind of like idea of, you know, not like you don't have anything to lose because of course you do, but being like, I'm here first and foremost for the work. And if that isn't happening, then like I can do something different. Like, yeah. you know, you need me more than I need you kind of a the thing, which I think is, is really, um, you know, a completely different position to be in than for so many folks. Um, especially in like undergraduate degrees that are on scholarships that, you know, have all of these limitations, especially if they're trying to do like any sort of like protest or organizing about things on campus or trying to call out the administration for things, because um, I think that that can be a huge bargaining chip. Um, yeah, but I mean, I'm still funded. Kind of I'm still funded by a research yeah. body. But I, I, I think like, of course, we all, you know, we all have things to lose but like ourselves and our morals shouldn't be one of those. And coming from a perspective where, you know, I don't have money, I don't have a like net to fall on, I don't have a parent's home to go to. I think that of course, yeah, it is riskier for people to be more radical in their education. But like also, I don't know, obviously it's very personal, but all I'm trying to say is that like, I am in a privileged position to feel the way that I feel, but like nothing, of my personal situation makes it easier for me to make those decisions. It's just fundamentally, I guess you enter a space and decide what you want to do there. And yeah, yeah I guess I don't think there's an excuse. <laughs> um, for, uh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> that commitment. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I think also if more people who are, who like had, because, you know, being in academia is a privilege in itself. If more people use those voices in the space that you're in, then people who were more fragile in that system already wouldn't have those big risks. And I think that needs to be, like, catalyzed a lot a lot more. Because um, the voices, like, academia is mega powerful. Like, and upholding what academia is upholding is, like, I feel like not a lot of people are challenging that enough. It makes me think of um, once I was having a conversation with this abolitionist organizer and uh, lawyer um, in Seattle. Their name is uh, Nikita Oliver, and they're super awesome. And I was asking a question about kind of like while I was still in school, this whole like inside outside approach that everyone loves to talk about, um, especially because I was in the kind of like politics space as being like, okay, you know, when is it more effective to be like on the inside making change? And when is it more effective to just be like, you know, like, F it and, and, like, leave those institutions and make change from the outside. And they said, like, you know, once you're on the on the inside, there has to be a line that you have to hold as being, like, this is when I will, like, be a whistleblower and, and give up on, like, the personal comfort that I have either from having this job or being in this institution and, like, being on these academics. And, and uh, what they're saying is that basically, like, a lot of people, I think, go into spaces thinking they're going to be, like, working from the inside and then end up just, like, being like, oh, there's so much red tape and just like chilling with the with the system and not actually enacting any change. And so I think that that's like something that we all have to reckon with is like if you're going to be in a 
a, a kind of violent or colonial institution like academia? Like, when do you have that line when you're saying like, okay, that you know, this is like my moral stance, and I I won't be swayed to do, to be doing things differently. Another thing I'd love to think about is just like how, especially in kind of like the activism spaces, um, you know, how originally like maybe university or college was one of the first places that so many folks become radicalized or like learn the type of like language or theory or background information and how maybe that's changing. I don't know. I feel like in the last like two years, especially due to like folks on on social media making so much information like accessible and then also not just like really basic like slideshow information but really like trying to create spaces where there is uh, political or public education like outside of of academic spaces and if you feel like you know how that is changing if maybe that's like supplementary like you add that on to your academics or you think people are doing that like in place of learning things in school like critical race theory and intersectionality and all these things um I don't know if either of you guys have any thoughts on that one. I think for the most part, the first part of your question kind of alienates any other um, sort of, it basically alienates the sciences or any like non-humanities degree because, yeah, I guess that's very specific to the sociologies, to the, you know, all of those type of subjects where, of course, it's like, that is what you do. Like it's, uh, they're more critical, uh, and uh, you do a lot more like theorizing and writing. So, yeah, I can't really comment on that because it's a l- it's a little bit different in the sciences. Um, and I would say that most of the work that I do, both in my degree and on social media, is just from m- myself, as in like using other resources yeah. rather than my. Like, I'm not being taught the stuff that I talk about at university. Um, and, and that might be different in the humanities because, for example, my sociology supervisor does run a course here about environmental justice, and I was able to go to that. But for my degree uh, in the sciences, there's literally no space for that at all. That's, like, not part yeah. of any conversation. So I guess in the sciences, we're a bit further behind. It's like, how can we start bringing these conversations in Mm -hmm. but I think obviously the academic framework and the grounding is what allows me to kind of dissect what I'm doing in my own research and bring that to a more public sphere but I've been doing that anyway and other you know climate and color is not the first thing I've done uh I've been doing lots of other sort of online organizing things before so I guess what characterizes a lot of academics is just being very curious and being very interested about getting to the bottom of issues or problems and and that sort of curious mind and that um affinity for reading and research obviously then allows Um, for the dissemination of information and if you are creative or if you have a way to connect with wider communities then of course it's an amazing supplementary thing to do but yeah for me I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't ever let social media displace my academic endeavors just because for all the critique of academia I think that like it it is very relevant in very specific cases and that for me personally for the journey that I feel like I'm on Mm -hmm. I really see the value in research and the sort of stamina that you need for research 
the lack of like quick gratification, uh, the lack of buzzwordiness and actually being able to dive really deep into a subject and the way that we were described our PhDs was, you know, you have a circle and the circle is all the information in the world. And you keep zooming in onto the line of the circle, onto the edge of the circle, keep zooming in, keep zooming in, keep zooming in. And there's a tiny little bump, like a pixel wide on that circle. And that's what you know. And then further to that is just millions of other stuff. So you know, like very little in the like wide space of things but you know a lot about this very specific thing and I think social media kind of skews that because the minute you have any sort of platform on social media people think that like you know everything about everything and that you're saying (laughs) you know everything about everything and it's like no this is an incredible space for us to all learn and I know you know a lot about this subject but Mm -hmm. what you find in academia is the deeper you go the less you know and that is the part that's exciting and I wish that people found that more exciting than like reading a book and re- and like just putting facts into their head so that they can like regurgitate it to someone else rather than like yeah diving really deep into a subject yeah. and um and really trying to connect with questions and, and and like think for a very long time if that makes sense totally totally I mean I think that that like ability to you know not just want to be like quick and over and done with like, oh, I, you know, read one book on this or like I understand it from one point of view, then then I'm done. I've learned that like I've passed it. I've checked the box. Um, and I think that that like further super critical thinking and and also, um, you know, like the deeply curious thing is, is so important. And I think also really like that's what I think drives so so much of our like organizing and activism is like being both curious and then like wanting to understand. Um, and, and I think that like e- that can be applied to both a, a science and technology space from your end or like for me, what that means is that like, you know, all of us have these different perspectives and stories on the same thing. And so I don't want to hear five people and be like, oh, I understand it. I want to hear like from every single person how they feel about it and then take that and like have that continue to like morph my understanding on whatever topic or interest that is. I guess another question I have, which I'm, this is something I've been grappling with a lot, is like, do you think that our our kind of obsession with like expertise then isolates us though that we don't if we're not also promoting like having a general understanding or knowledge of a lot of things like not like not necessarily in this like PhD's perspective but I know that in a lot of things it's like oh you know well unless you're an expert on said topic like you can't have an opinion you can't talk about it like you need to be so so focused I guess I just flip that question and it'd be like not is expertise wrong but is just the definition of what expertise is wrong for instance like you can be an expert and you don't have to be an academic I mean you can be an expert because you have lived experience or you can be an expert because like you have actively engaged with a certain situation in my mind expertise isn't like a devil word I just think it's like again like intelligence these are questions that we have when we're talking about AI like what is class as intelligence like how we define these words is just as important as whether we say that we use them or not and I think that like yeah some people are more qualified to talk about things for example a black person is more qualified than a white person to talk about racism like they're an expert in that situation and so I think that 
yeah, there are so many different scenarios where we do need to let the experts talk about it. And it's just who is classed as an expert. And in academia, that is usually just someone who has a number of letters behind their name rather than like, okay, who actually deeply knows about this? Which is what I'm trying to do with my work is to say like, okay, you know about the AI, that's great. Simmer down and let the indigenous community or the marginalized community who like have a very intimate connection with this thing also co-create to the same amount as you. It's not one over the other. Like they are also an expert in this like field. And I think it's just broadening this definition of expert. Um, And I guess that's why I don't call myself an activist because what we say as an activist is like way too constricting for me. And like, I think this is our issue with labels that like they become like cults and like you have to like fit in to like what the cult says is the meaning of that word. Where really (laughs) before that added like checkbox gatekeeping, the word could have been applied to so many different people. So yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah, and also maybe just to expand on breaking these binaries between like, you know, what even like an activist or an academic is. Like we don't have to be in like either boxes and same with expertise, like lived experience. Like we don't have to like seek hierarchies between like what's statistically like proven and what's like a lived experience because a lot of times they do match up but also a lot of times they don't and that is also because of the research topics that are chosen right and like whose voices are being prioritized in those spaces similarly like I often don't call myself an activist even though I do organizing work but I think when I'm like in academic space I am an activist because I like to you know like shit still there um but then when I'm like more in activist space like why would I you know bring in a statistic to to tell someone what their lived experience of climate injustices is like I don't need to do that and that's actually very dis, like dismissive of their lived experience like I'm there to listen whereas then maybe you know when I'm in more like a policy space okay these these statistics are helpful because historically they've been looking at but you know but still I, I still think like also in those spaces we still need to challenge that because lived experiences should be enough for them as well so I, I think it's always like breaking those binaries but at the same time also looking where you are and then you can make the different tools that you have useful in that way yeah I completely agree and I think that yeah I just wanted to expand on what you were saying about there not being a binary between activism and academia and like also understanding like who you're talking to because it's not one size fits all the way that you'd speak to an academic institution is very different to say how you're speaking to a community and that is valid like it is important to speak to people in the ways in which they like are the most responsive for example yeah with policy like okay theoretically you might have an issue with using a statistic or something but like if we want to get the shit done like we gotta you know talk to them the way they need to be talked to but just on the sort of no binary between academia and activism and also the critique of like can you do stuff inside um i think that if you're like fully embodying like the values that you say you are and the research that you are doing like it doesn't need to be a question of like oh like academia is bad and like you can't make any change from the inside because like I have this talk that I do called From Theory to Praxis and it's all about academia and moving away from just like theoretical paper writing to like actually 
doing the stuff that we talk about. So in my mind, it's like academia is activism. Like activism is like, like they're just the same thing and they're not one and apart. And it's not like activists are doing a better job or academics are doing a better job. It's just like, how good of a job are you just doing in life? Like it's, it's not like who can do it better. It's just, you know, academia can be activism and is activism if, you know, it is active in dismantling systems of oppression. Um, and activism in many ways can be, it can be less impactful. Both of them can be less impactful if you're doing a bad job. It's just sort of like there's this phrase in machine learning, which is like bad data in, bad data out. Like if what you're putting into whatever you're doing is bad, it's going to be bad. And there are many ways in which activism can also trip up in the face of, say, corporations and in the face of capitalism. So I, I don't think either are void of being able to be tripped up by these like limits opposed on us and maybe sometimes it's it's the the perspective is or the rhetoric is that activists you know are more aligned with their vision um and this is the very specific definition of activist not what i think which is just like everyone's obviously an activist but yeah i think that people on both sides can be swayed by money by comfort by corporations and that we need to stop this in the movement this sort of like jousting and actually just recognize the value in all of our work and also like commit to the value in actually providing value in our work as well. I love that. I love that. And it's also like part of it is like it takes all of us. Like it takes on the ground organizers. It takes people with like deep lived experiences that they share with the community. It takes like academics and it takes theorists and it takes artists. Like it takes all of us. So like the fact that we're moving through all of these is makes sense because that's what movements do that's what people do that's what like you know that's that's what drives us forward so joe i wanted to ask you a question about like how you feel the the use or like how like radical imagination really influences both like your organizing and and your academics because i know that that is part of what you're studying is like um, you can probably say it better, but like, you know, uh, or, um, the radical imagination of like, of, of a post, um, capitalist future and what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I really got into futurism, like throughout academia, um, and like studying also that kind of the history on futurism has been like super challenging because a lot of futurism has been done, for example, by oil corporations like Shell, who's been really like looking into future studies and imagining futures looking at political actors who are going to be the strong actors in futures and that way knowing where to explore oil. And it's been like really upsetting in that way that they've been so organized, like politically, internally, that they've been just been really, really good in this. And it's just been ma like making myself like really thinking of like, well, I'm like, I'm strategizing so much, whether that's academically or on the ground and, you know, community organizing. Um, opposed to all of these things that I don't want and that like we as a collective don't want and I'm you know constantly learning of like what what isn't good like all of these like forces like obviously I don't I don't know all of that and every day I'm learning new things but a big thing was just like I don't even know what we are envisioning and like for me that was actually like I like I felt like I had an existential multiple existential crises about this because I was just like well if you can't even envision some sort of future and that is also not a single future like um I'm a big advocate for always saying pluralistic futures because there is not 
there's not one reality right now and there's not one you know future that we create for which is a hierarchy if we are advocating just for one future but in that way like that was like really groundbreaking for me to enable like collective futurism and like to think with like communities of like well what 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 could we envision and like what are radical imaginations and so my current research is focusing on um It's actually challenging a lot of like degrowth academics specifically who are working on pathways to post-capitalist futures and what their values are. Because a lot of people in that field talk a lot about justice and what that means. But um, I'm kind of like basically shit staring if, you know, if there's just like the words, like the buzzwords being used, but or like what that means in tactics and what the strategies are specifically. I'm going to be doing my PhD on communities that are already living post-capitalist organizational structures. But obviously I don't I don't know that yet because I haven't started. But um, for me, I think in, in some ways it's been so liberating and so um, empowering to read uh, like on the long history of people dreaming and envisioning futures beyond the current systems we are in. I'm hoping, you know, and that that's like the center of my work to um to look at that and to yeah, empower more of that. I love that. I obviously I love like futurism and like radical imagination and so much because I feel like it's, you know, especially growing up on like all this like post-apocalyptic stuff, it's like people just like see that like the future, the end of like white supremacy or the end of colonialism is just going to be like apocalypse and I'm always like but there's so many more like you know uh I think beautiful futures that we can see and even if we don't know exactly like how we get there like having that vision like will help us create those pathways so um that's that's super cool (laughs) yeah I mean this um for example like Kyle White he's an indigenous scholar um on Turtle Island and like he talks a lot about like the current environmental crisis was the the future dream of of like the white settler ancestors and like you know thinking of like we are living some person's future and it's absolutely apocalyptic already um and then thinking of futures like that we actually want to create as a collective I think is in a way quite humbling and and thinking that like well maybe you know this is not going to be like my ancestors dream like this is going to be for the futures and this is going to be for better lived experiences so yeah it's challenging and humbling and hopefully empowering oh it sounds like it i mean both of both of y'all are working on such i think you know big projects and also like focus which which i think is so is so important because um working towards towards a future or a goal or something right now is is so um helpful and enlightening to hear about because I feel like so many folks that I I'm surrounded with are just like kind of struggling with the day-to-days and not that you're not struggling with the day-to-days but like having that sort of um kind of pathway of of what your research is going to be taking you and that that inspiration I've I've been really excited to hear from both of y'all on that so um I guess my last little thing is to close up is just like if you have any final thoughts or words of advice for folks kind of either entering university or academia for the first time or continuing theirs, like, you know, just navigating that space and finding things that inspire you and also that work within your idea of envisioning um, a better or more just future for, for people on the planet. I just want to respond, and I guess it answers both questions, but just to the futurism stuff, because, yeah, I've been doing, like, a lot of work 
behind the scenes on futures and again on this like community centric futures and that talk that I said about before the from theory to praxis ends on talking about futures and 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 in a academic context as well going from theory to praxis and really embodying like deep reflection deep listening all of these deep actions um and understanding that like we already are the future this like cyclical idea of like the world it's not like this linear 2021 2022 2023 like of course those are the labels of the years but like we are living in this like completely cyclical infinite expanse and I guess for me it feels like I guess in in an academic setting it's like I am the future but like my work can be the future and so like of course I don't know every little part of the future that I envision but like for my specific reality what do I see in that future and then how can I do that so if you're thinking about doing something academic like I guess I would just take the, what we think of as futures much further than just like a job or further than just like you know like what's gonna happen at the end of the four years it's like think bigger like how can my work become the norm in 20 years like for example you know gender studies at some point that would have been quite a radical thing for someone to start and now lots of people do gender studies or lots of you know ai that is some futuristic thing that still now people communicate in a way that is really unhelpful and makes it seem like this huge sci-fi thing but Mm -hmm. like for a practitioner who does AI it's just like very normal and a lot of times very boring so all I mean is that (laughs) if you're coming into a space like don't just take what's in front of you for like that being all that you can do imagine the Mm -hmm. future outside of just like a subject like just what do you want to do in this world like what would you like to see in this world and then like try as much as you can to do that and I think like living the future in the present is like a very exciting thing to be doing and I think that's what motivates me and keeps me like grounded in my values because I'm not doing it for any other reason than like I can't wait to know what I hope I know in the future or like I can't wait to implement or like experience what I'm hoping to create in the future it's just this like discourse with like future selves and future communities that I think yeah you know maybe it's a bit weird maybe I'm just like talking to myself in a strange way but um, yeah (laughs) not at all I love it (laughs) yeah maybe I would also just say uh like go big like go as radical as you can and that you know right now and like you will think differently in a few like even just tomorrow or like next week or next year but like in that moment like go as big as you can and like do you overcomplicate everything because the world is super complex and this reductionism and staying within one discipline isn't actually a good reflection of the world I think also just like make sure that you are very clear about your own biases like we all are biased but being vocal about it and where we come from the way we know things why we might have certain you know focus points like these are all valid but like just being vocal about them does like it's just transparency across your research and also like look at the long line of people who've been working on this like as your sources you can't like 
go beyond like the like the white founding fathers or like the European centered voices that are always uplifted anyways, like go to the communities, um, look at like non-academic sources, like you can't quote these, you can't cite these, center them and yeah, just make everyone quite uncomfortable, I think. <laughs> I love that, making people uncomfortable <laughs> since day one. Um, thank you both. This has been so awesome to, to chat with you both. Um, yes, if you want to follow uh, Joycelyn's work on at Climate and Color, there's always really amazing things. I feel like I'm learning so much from you. Um, and same with Joe Becker uh, on Instagram at Trees. N, the letter N, peace, and also the Yikes podcast because we love the Yikes podcast. We'll listen to it all for the week. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much. Thanks for having thank me. You. Thanks for having us. <laughs>